0: Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
1: For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Uh Well, yeah, I wasn't going to read it directly. But you
0: but, might want to um, read. But I can.
1: Okay. Did I, yeah. did I say 532? Yeah, my dyslexia did kick in there. <laughs> dyslexia. <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't going to read it exactly like it. I was going to make up my mind. <laughs> That's own great. Number.
0: So if people advance, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about.
1: I don't know. I'm at, I'm at frame 532.
0: <laughs> it's, it's the no, credits. for catching
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to talk about frame 350s. I don't know why I couldn't say it.
0: Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick, and we share a few
1: cocktails
0: in the process. They say a picture is worth a thousand words.
1: Today we share the stories of two iconic images that have had gallons upon gallons of ink spilled about them since their debut, becoming indelibly woven into the fabric of our pop culture.
0: So dig up your old Viewmaster, mix yourself a couple of amazing Sazeracs, and picture yourself strolling in to meet us back around the bar.
1: Um, So Elliot, I know we're talking about iconic images today And I've got one which uh, Everybody has seen I'm 100% sure And I'm sure you have one that we uh, Have all been very familiar with But let me start with a question Which will give away mine right away What percentage of Americans Do you think Believe in Bigfoot?
0: Oh, so you're showing us the Loch Ness Monster picture
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, of course According to a poll uh, done in 2014, what do you think is the higher percentage of Americans—people that believe the universe was created by the Big Bang, or people that believe in Bigfoot?
0: Hmm. What I what I think the answer is, or what I hope the answer is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what, <laughs> what what do you think? I have a is? feeling
0: more people... You, you said in the United States. Um, yeah, in the United States. Gosh, I would say of the two, more people probably believe in Bigfoot.
1: Well, I would tell you it's exactly the same number. Really? Yeah, the same number of people, a little over 20%, about 21, 22% of Americans uh, believe that Bigfoot exists and that they don't believe that the uh, universe was created by the Big Bang. So you know what I say, hashtag yay science.
0: So what about uh, how many people believe Bigfoot created the universe?
1: Uh, you know they didn't ask that question but there certainly has to be some evidence of that um but you know the you know you know bigfoot right you've seen pictures of bigfoot right you've seen statues of bigfoot you've seen mugs t-shirts hipster um wear. there's a, a musical festival called sasquatch festival bigfoot's pretty hip and cool
0: yeah 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 i've spent some time in the pacific northwest i've uh, brought back some bigfoot souvenirs
1: All right, so I want to talk about frame 352, taken from the 59 seconds of footage shot by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin. It was shot on October 20th, 1967 in Northern California. Do you know the image I'm talking about, the one where uh, Bigfoot's kind of strolling? It's a grainy image. Yeah, it's a dry creek bed, fallen trees, rocks, autumn foliage in the background, this dark brown, hairy figure with breasts walking away from the viewer. Turns to look back in mid-stride, left arm and right leg forward, right arm and left leg behind, just sashaying along the dry creek bed. And that was captured, and that created quite the stir. Bigfoot had finally been seen and captured on footage. So, what do you think? You think it's real, Elliot, or you think it's Hmm. a hoax?
0: I think it's oddly convenient that these guys were in the middle of nowhere just happened to be with a movie movie camera camera. in the 60s. Like today with a cell phone, you know, maybe, but 50 years ago, 55 years ago. Yeah, that seems like a little bit of a stretch.
1: Well, there was a reason for that, and I'll get into it. But let me give you a little bit of history, first of all, just real briefly. Because the legend of a hairy forest beast goes way back to this place called the Painted Rock Shelter on the Tool River Reservation, which is in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, central part of California. Inside this rock shelter, there's painted pictograms, and it represents things like coyotes, beaver, bear, centipedes, caterpillars, humans, eagles, and a hairy man family. Now, you're asking, what is a hairy man family, Todd, right? I thought I heard you ask that.
0: I I, I was thinking I'm um, I'm taking notes as we're talking because.
1: Okay, so you're yeah you're catching up with Harry. You're at actually at I'm I'm, I'm doing doodles of big... the
0: Harry Man family in the margins of my notes. Okay, okay,
1: good, 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 good. So it's a family. It's big Harry Man. It's a Harry Man woman and a Harry Man baby. And um, experts say these pictograms date back 500 to 1,000 years. So it's not just the drawings of, of hairy man um, for this Native American tribe, but it's also the legends of uh, hairy man that are a really important part of Tool River culture.
0: So, question for you here. Yes. Do they think the Hendersons are the ones that drew the. No. Oh, okay.
1: No, no. The Hendersons were not around a thousand years ago. Um, But, but because I didn't know this till I was reading this research paper that I stumbled upon through my rabbit hole. And it said that most states, including California, keep a database of all recorded sites. So based on the databases of geographic sites where this activity appears, There is no other known Bigfoot pictographs or petroglyphs anywhere in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Idaho. So there was drawings of Bigfoot on a rock shelter done a thousand years ago. Except he wasn't called Bigfoot; he was called Hairy Man.
0: (laughs) Now, who who called him? Like who discovered these drawings first?
1: I don't know because they go so far back. It's just they've been known um, to be there for a long, long time.
0: Okay, so just just they were like a, a local landmark. Someone said, oh, yeah, do you want to go see yeah, the Harry yeah. Man family Harry or whatever?
1: Man. Yeah, Harry Man was a legend with the, the Tool River. Um, culture so much that it was Harry man was kind of like the boogeyman you know yeah, where right. where um, parents would tell their children to not stay out after dark because that's when Harry man comes out and to make sure you're home on time and don't wander too far mm-hmm. away like that kind of stuff but that's not the picture we're talking I'm talking about today I'm talking about the Bigfoot photo that we all know that was taking 500 miles north of painted rock and the tool river legend so how did those filmmakers, Patterson and Gimlin, happen upon her at Bluff Creek in Humboldt County, which is right up at the Oregon-California border?
0: Yeah, known for its weed, right?
1: Um, I have no idea about that.
0: I'm sure you don't.
1: But if you say so, if you say so, I believe you. That may have something to do with the number of Bigfoot sightings or wooded man sightings up in that area because in the late 19th century and the early 20th century there's a lot more interest in the legend and of course more sightings can you guess do you have any idea why elliot
0: photography i would imagine
1: Mm, that might be part of it i didn't think about that but you know what i thought about what was happening in the late 1800s in Miners,
0: California? minor 49ers yes right and westward right, expansion right. Yes. more
1: people yeah more people were expanding west into these wooded areas that no one had seen before
0: yeah manifest destiny go west young man
1: uh, yeah th- I didn't know you knew all the village people I, songs, I do. But that's I good do. on you We'll talk yes. about that some other time So anyway yeah. They, so loggers, miners They started interacting with The Native Americans from that area And they heard these legends And there was a lot more interest Obviously with a lot more interest There's a lot more sightings um, Because there's more activity But there's really no physical evidence Of what... Uh, Uh, We know now as Bigfoot not until 1958 and what happened then was there was a logging company and a bulldozer Operator discovered these large human-like footprints sunk deep in the mud around Six Rivers National Forest, which is Humboldt County where I mentioned um, that previous photo was taken and these footprints, they were, like, 16 inches long. So, clearly, Shaquille O'Neal was out there, like, somewhere in the forest <laughs> in the 1950s. Right, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and anyway, so, word started getting around the logging camps, and these crews started spreading stories of other weird happenings that they had seen or heard or found and other weird footprint sightings. And it was actually here in 1958 that the name bigfoot was first used to describe this this forest creature and of course with that with the evidence because they made plaster casts Mm -hmm. of the footprints and it was started to be on the news more sightings started happening right
0: well so okay did they ever figure out where these initial like was this some sort of were people mad that they were bulldozing in this forest and so they created a prank with these feet to try to scare people away or that it was some sort of ecological thing like there's this creature here so don't do the forest clearing. Like, Did they ever find out what the source of these footprints was?
1: Yes, they did. And uh, I'm going to make you wait for that one.
0: Aw, man. Because that
1: that, that becomes um, uh, a real key part of... The Bigfoot story. So, but yes is the answer.
0: So it was Shaquille O'Neal.
1: It was Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Podcast over. (laughs) Now you tell me yours. (laughs) Uh, All
0: right. So time to get a Papa John's pizza, everybody.
1: I know. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. 1958, they have evidence of large footprints in that area. It becomes the hotbed of Bigfoot sightings. Bigfoot now has a name. And now, with that evidence, it created a lot more interest. So, flash forward to early Friday afternoon, October 20th, 1967. Patterson and Gimlin, they set out on horseback to Bluff Creek in Humboldt County.
0: Okay, so in the very place where this other activity had been. Yes, okay. they'd
1: heard a lot of, about activity up there. So, what happens, you know, they they could drive some, but they also brought horses with them to, um, because it's pretty rugged terrain. Mm -hmm. What happens is, they're on horseback, they're following this creek north, they encounter this log jam that was left over from a previous flood on the creek. And so, when they get around this log jam, they spot this creature, about 25 feet away, So the horses are rearing up. They're freaking out um, because the horses spot the creature as well. Right. And so Roger Patterson is like, he's like trying to get out of his saddle, trying to calm the horse down, trying to get his camera um, to capture this. And while he's doing that, Bigfoot starts walking away and Patterson chases her down. He trips. He falls. This is all in the footage. If you if you get a chance to see the whole footage, mm-hmm. and we'll post that. He falls down. He gets back up. He's running towards the Bigfoot. He finally captures the iconic image of uh, what now we know as Patty the Bigfoot. He named her Patty.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: As she's as she's looking back at them, right? And she's kind of looking back a little bit in contempt,
0: you know. Yeah, like, like I was minding my own business and you guys yeah, came into like, my WTF.
1: space. Yeah, WTF. Yeah, I was here and I was taking a bath and WTF, you know, get out. And uh, so that iconic image was captured. The whole thing lasted about two minutes. And, you know, here we are talking about it way more than 50 years later.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of the zapruder film of Bigfoot.
1: It is exactly that. Now, there's a little more to the story as you would guess, because that just gets us to when the footage was captured. Right. But I realize that I don't know what image you're gonna be talking about and I want to hear a little bit more.
0: Hmm. Okay. So I would suggest of our two images, you maybe went a little bit lowbrow with what? your Bigfoot s so I'm I apologize what? to any uh Bigfoot hunters and um I don't know. Um,
1: you don't believe in science. Biologists. You don't believe in science. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. No, that's fine. Yeah. You know. What, that's fine. Whatever. Tomato. Tomato. Yeah. So,
1: so you're telling me that what you have is an iconic image of something that really happened and and has been proven.
0: Uh, it really happened. Okay. It's been proven that it happened. There is physical mm-hmm. evidence it happened. Okay. But there is still a twist. To the story that i think Ooh. a lot of people don't know okay. okay
1: okay so
0: i'm mentioning going a little bit more highbrow so mm-hmm. i'm gonna uh be patriotic now todd we have talked about patriotic things in the past right we talked about mm-hmm. 1976 and the bicentennial we've talked about the uh poster the civic posters we talked about the hope poster with Shepherd Ferry we've talked mm-hmm. about a lot of different stuff here and uh, including flags national flags um, and so this kind of weaves in to that story in a way and I bet I can say two words and when I say these two words it's a proper name actually and when I say it I guarantee not only will you, have an immediate image pop into your head, but anyone listening to us will have, I think if we were to ask them to draw this image, they would probably be able to do a reasonably good job just hmm. from memory, okay?
1: All right. Give us. Give it to us. Let's, let's do a test here.
0: Okay. You ready? I'm ready. And And I'll even go one step further. It's only seven letters total. So how iconic mm-hmm. is that?
1: Okay, well, I'm trying to figure it out because uh, a comes hold to Hold on, hold on. I'm uh, not even done okay. yet.
0: It's also in, okay. a, in a foreign language.
1: Okay, well, that blows what I thought. Because <laughs> uh, I thought it was the Times Square sailor kissing the nurse. You are uh, not
0: too far off. Same? But that's
1: not in a foreign language.
0: No, but it's the same time period and it's around about, um, you know, it's for the same event without a doubt. And it's uh, oh, okay. around the same uh, time period. Are you ready? All right. It, yeah, yeah. Iwo Jima.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The flag raising.
0: Exactly.
1: The heroic flag raising. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that that image is, it's it's, it's cool. It's everywhere. It, it talks about uh, visually it talks about struggle, um, overcoming, uh, you know, uh, it talks hopes and dreams.
0: Yep. Yep. It's kind of like when you assemble a piece of furniture from Ikea.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure how that works, but, uh, I'd love to hear about
0: that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm talking about struggles and overcoming oh, adversity right. oh, yeah, and yeah, hopes yeah. and dreams.
1: So they had an uh, an Allen wrench to get <laughs> they, that. They photo. did.
0: They had a shapeless, uh, white sort of cartoony guy helping them uh, behind yeah. the scenes.
1: No, um, I've seen. I think I've seen like motion picture footage too. That I guess was from that same time. Yes. And, and yes. That, This is is this a a clip from that motion picture?
0: Sort of. It, it was recorded by two different people but they were in about the same place at this at the same time okay so let's let's unpack this a little bit so as we were just mentioning this is without argument one of the most iconic photos that's ever been taken certainly in american history right Mm -hmm. we see it everywhere and it just remains an enduring image of american men at war and is probably the most famous photo from world war ii Um, You mentioned the sailor kissing the the gal, the nurse in Times Square. That's probably the second most famous photo, I would think, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. So where did this photo come from? Like, what's the origin story? So this photo was taken by Joe Rosenthal, who was a photographer with the Associated Press. And he took the photo on February 23rd, 1945, okay? So that was a Friday. Mm Mm-hmm. On that Sunday, so two days later, on the 25th, it appeared in newspapers everywhere. I mean, every front page, everywhere, any major newspaper, New York Times, Washington Post. I mean, you name the paper, this wire photo was on the front page. I mean, and in fact, it was so impactful, it is the only photo in the history of of photojournalism to have won the Pulitzer the same year it was published
1: no kidding really
0: i mean wow. you know so just zero competition for this like yeah, everybody just thought this was big deal. so i it's it's incredibly big deal yeah, so yeah. and of course for anyone who has um either on their own or through a school field trip or anything like this taken um a trip to washington dc and they've gone uh, to arlington Uh, across the river from Washington DC, the National Cemetery. Um, There is the Marine Corps War Memorial uh, right next to the cemetery. And that is a sculpture flying a real flag, a fabric flag, but it is based on this image. They rendered it in three dimensions. Okay, Mm -hmm. so a lot of people know all about this. As I mentioned, you could conjure it from memory with reasonable accuracy, We all probably wish we had a dollar every time we've seen this image over the course of our lives. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So now here's the part that you don't know, probably. This photo was staged. What? Yes.
1: No, 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 no. Yes. I mean... Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, Now, now, uh, Bigfoot, as
0: far as I know, was not the one who staged it, though.
1: No, Bigfoot had nothing to do with this because Bigfoot had not been seen yet.
0: That's right. You can't blame Bigfoot. Not not this time. Still hiding. Not this time. I blame Bigfoot, actually, for most of my tax problems, but not for this specific photo (laughs) being staged. Okay. Um, By the way, the IRS, they ain't buying it. Yeah. They ain't buying the Bigfoot stuff. Not anymore. Okay, so before we get into talking about this photo being staged, I feel we need to do a quick history lesson on the Battle of Iwo Jima. Like, how did these guys get there? Why were there photographers there? We mentioned there were people filming there. Like, what was this Mm -hmm. activity all about? Okay, Mm -hmm. so um, as I mentioned earlier, the photo was taken on February 23rd, 1945. A few days earlier, on February the 19th, the U.S. invaded Iwo Jima as part of its island-hopping strategy in the Pacific to defeat Japan. So this is a Japanese island, okay? Iwo Jima was originally not the target, however, but because of the relatively quick fall of the Philippines, the Americans had extra time sort of built into their schedule prior to when they planned to invade Okinawa. So Iwo Jima is is in a strategic location. It's halfway between Japan and the Mariana Islands. And this is where the American long-range bombers were based in the Pacific Theater. Mm -hmm. And Iwo Jima was used by the Japanese as an early warning station. And it would radio warnings back to Japan, back to the mainland, when they would see these bombers. So it was obvious that... America, you know, the American soldiers wanted to knock out this early warning system to give them an advantage when they were invading Japan. So, mm-hmm. the Americans after capturing the island weakened the Japanese early warning system and then they used the island as an emergency landing strip for damaged bombers, right? So if they were going into invade Japan and getting shrapnel, getting flak and and uh they could have like this way station. You got to keep in mind, you know, there weren't always aircraft carriers everywhere or anything like that. So any place that they could land these damaged bombers was helpful rather than them dropping into the ocean. Mm-hmm. So Iwo Jima isn't a very big place. It's a volcanic island kind of shaped like a trapezoid. And in fact, the Marines on the island described it as, quote, a large gray pork chop. Unquote. Mm, <laughs> so that gives an child. idea. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's almost dinner time for us.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So, and, and it's uh, pretty strategic, obviously, to Japan, main island.
0: Yes. Yes. So little, here's another little bit of trivia here. So it would be the first Japanese homeland soil. So it was a- affixed to Japan. Like like Japan regarded it as part of the country proper. So this was the first homeland soil to be captured by the Americans. And it was a matter of honor for the Japanese to prevent its capture. Like, so even though Mm, it was this little mm, island mm. out in the ocean, you know, it's a great point of pride. So the island is dominated by the highest point, which is called Mount Suribachi. And it's a dormant volcanic cone at the southern tip of the island. So just like... You know japan is this volcanic archipelago you know hawaii of course is another example Mm -hmm, of this mm -hmm. you know the ring of fire so um tactically the top of suribachi was one of the most important locations on the island right that's the high ground yeah so from that vantage point
1: so you could see everything yeah
0: yeah yeah and just you have this this tactical advantage so from that vantage point, as long as there were Japanese soldiers at the top of this mountain on this island, they could spot artillery accurately and drop it onto the Americans, particularly in the mm-hmm. landing beaches. So as these guys are coming on the island, these guys are shelling them from this, this high point, okay? So that was a strategic uh, locale on the island and it was heavily fortified. And when the Marines initially came in, they suffered incredibly high casualties, as you might imagine. And the Japanese fought most of the battle from these underground bunkers and pillboxes. So even though it was a volcanic island, they were able to burrow into it. And -hmm. it was very common for Marines to disable a pillbox. They would use a grenade or use flamethrowers. So they're tossing stuff in there. Soldiers would scatter. And then only um, after that, after they thought everybody was gone, all of a sudden there was this network of tunnels. And so these guys were coming back into the pillbox, and they were replacement soldiers, and they were, again, just taking up the fight again against these americans so it was a long struggle a drawn-out struggle okay Mm. so the american effort concentrated on isolating and capturing suribachi first so that was goal number one we're gonna start here and it was achieved on february 23rd okay so now we're getting back to our date of the flag Mm -hmm. four Mm -hmm. days after the battle began so protracted battle for for four solid days and despite capturing that mountain The battle still continued to rage for many days afterwards. And in fact, the island wouldn't be secure until 31 days later on March the 26th.
1: Wow, so like a month later. Yeah.
0: So even though, yeah, so even though this flag is getting raised, you know, there's still almost a month, really over a month. That this fighting was still going on. So, most of us think about it, of course, as a, a victorious image. Right. You know, right. job well done, let's raise the flag. So, it wasn't that at all, in fact. Okay. So, now that we have that context about the battle, let's get back to the flag raising itself. Okay. Okay. All right. So, this, also a, a little known fact, this wasn't even the first American flag raised on Mount Suribachi. Did you know that? No. Yeah.
1: Is everything I know a lie?
0: Not not everything. <laughs> not everything. You know, you owe me at least four real. drinks at the bar. That, no, that's that's true. I know
1: we're racking those up. We are. At least Bigfoot is real.
0: Yeah, he might pick up uh, your bar tab for you.
1: Yeah, there you Put go. Put it on okay. Bigfoot's tab. All right. So this was <laughs> the second flag raising. Um, okay. So let me let me pause for a second. Yeah. I'm, sure. What I'm thinking about here is. If they got um, Mount Suribachi, it was a, um, it was a symbolic victory. It would, it, they kept fighting for a month later, but if they captured the top of that mountain, it was a way of showing all the troops that we were, we were moving in the right direction and give them hell boys. Yeah,
0: you're exactly right. Because there's okay, still good. more people coming onto this island, Right. And so yeah. at the top of this island is this mountain. And if you're a soldier coming to it and you see an American flag flying, you're going to th- be excited. You know, you're going to think, oh, I'm, I'm aiding the cause here, right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So there was a smaller flag that had been raised earlier in the day at about ten twenty a.m. or so by a different group of Marines. Okay. Okay. okay a fellow named First Lieutenant Harold Schreier was a leader of a 40-man platoon, and he was given the American flag, the first American flag, from the battalion's transport ship, the USS Missoula, Mm -hmm. and he was told by his commander, a fellow named Lieutenant Colonel Chandler Johnson, quote, if you get to the top, put it up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when they got to the top of the mountain, they found a water pipe. That was among the debris on the mountaintop. You know, it's all this detritus, as you can imagine, because there's all this shelling and grenades and everything. You know, everything's getting destroyed. So they mm-hmm. found this water pipe in the mountaintop. The flag was attached to it, and then it was raised by three men and sort of planted among the debris. Mm-hmm. So the guys start cheering, right? They're like, you know, the pillboxes have been emptied. Uh, we put this flag up. Life's good. You know we we've won, so the, the the sound of them cheering, the American soldiers cheering, alerted the Japanese who were hiding. So they knew that they weren't laying in wait anymore; that they were celebrating. So the Japanese popped back out and started fighting them again. Right? So they thought they had the mountain captured, and they didn't. Um, wow. Yeah. So there are photographs of this first flag on Mount Suribachi, and they were taken by Staff Sergeant Lewis Lowry of Leatherneck mm-hmm. magazine. Okay, Mm -hmm. and we're going to post that photo on our episode page as well. Hey, Todd, speaking of pictures, picture this you making your way over to the bar to grab the next round.
1: Well, Elliot, that's fine with me. I'll put it on your tab.
0: Folks, while we arm wrestle over the bill, take a few minutes and refresh your own drinks as well. We'll see you soon.
1: Hey, nerds. I'm Sarah, the paper nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on your topic, stationary. From the designs of our mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So
0: come grab a seat in the stationary community's only five-star paper salon, The Paperfold. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.
1: Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it.
0: Visit our website at two 2designerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers.
1: Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us.
0: Wait, we do want people to visit, right? Well, oh, and look for us on
1: social media. You can find those links on our website as well.
0: And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling... Tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to.
1: (laughs) That's being a little shameless.
0: And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us.
1: In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done.
0: Okay, before I get into the second flag raising and what that was all about, I want to throw it back to you and I want to hear a little bit more about what we have going on with Bigfoot, because you sort of left us with a cliffhanger.
1: Hmm. You know, um, I think what you just did there is probably one of the priceless moments of podcasting, Elliot. Before I finish telling you about a heroic effort in World War II in Iwo Jima, I'd like to hear more about Bigfoot. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, yeah so I, I would I'm say we have yeah we have we have mixed priorities here
1: yes we do but this is a great story nonetheless so where i left off before if you remember roger patterson and a guy named bob gimlin riding horses came upon a she bigfoot named patty and they captured it on a little bit of footage. Uh, one frame from that became iconic, and we know it, and it's sort of been the, the model for all Bigfoot uh, yard sculptures ever since. So, there's a little backstory here that starts to shed some light. Um, Patterson and Gimlin met while working in rodeos together. They both did sort of odd jobs, and Roger was, Patterson, Roger Patterson, was captivated by Bigfoot Once the giant footprints were discovered by the logging company and he became obsessed with tracking Bigfoot so much that he wanted to start making a documentary about tracking Bigfoot. So this footage that he captured, he was the one behind the camera, if you remember, uh, who was trying to get off his saddle, grab his his camera. Um, The footage that he captured was to be part of this documentary, of course. You know he captured other stuff along the way because that's what you do when you're looking for a creature that you don't know if it exists you're you know you're examining dirt prints and showing yourself horseback riding now <laughs> okay. unfortunately roger passed away in 1972 um, due to cancer and with that the dreams of tracking bigfoot and the documentary went away as well Now skeptics and supporters I would say to be fair there are skeptics of the Bigfoot image and there are supporters of the Bigfoot image. They both have analyzed it to death like there is so much information about this one particular photo the authenticity of the photo and believers fall into the camp of There's no way this could have been faked with the technology available at the time. Hollywood producers and makeup artists, Stan Winston, you know, those guys, Mm -hmm. they point to another one of my favorite movies, Planet of the Apes, which was released at the same time, 1967. They point to that as state-of-the-art ape costuming, and Mm -hmm. Bigfoot is far more believable um, with the giant shoulders and kind of long ape arms and of course the large feet um that doesn't make planet of the apes any less of a classic movie i'll say but (laughs) it's pretty obvious there are people wearing ape costumes there
0: i know you love planet of the apes i love planet of the
1: apes yeah okay Um,
0: that'll be todd for you i'm willing we will have to do a future episode where we somehow weave in planet of the apes
1: we got to yeah 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 so maybe movies with um the Statue of Liberty. Oh, shit. Did I just give that away? Well, okay. It's a, you know, it's a 53-year-old, 4 old movie. So anyway, um, these experts um, said there's no way that this could have been faked. Like, these these rodeo cowboys, I mean, they don't have the technology to do this. We don't have the technology to do this. Yeah, it, how would so they know? know how to yeah.
0: do it and, right. and nail right. it first time right. out? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Right, right, right. Um, the skeptics, however they fall into the category of um maybe anthropologists and they say like well the hair is a little too uniform no mammal in the world has mismatched palms and soles of the feet i didn't know that all mammals your feet and the palms of your hands match
0: meaning like uh, the the, f- the color
1: yeah the color okay um and oh, thank you for clearing that up um uh, because I was going to say, for... my
0: my hands and my feet, if they genuinely matched, we would have all kinds of problems.
1: Yeah. Okay. But, Although but that does explain that
0: does explain my difficulty hitchhiking.
1: <laughs> but the colors of the palms of your hands and the soles of your feet um, generally match in color, as do all mammals, which I didn't know that. Um, but the biggest. Uh, so this creature had mismatched palms Maybe and Maybe
0: she just had dirty feet. She was in a creek bed.
1: Well, her feet were actually a lot lighter in color than in the palms of her hands. Hmm. But this is the biggie. This was the real one for skeptics. Okay. The picture of Patty the Bigfoot had no crack. Her butt wasn't separated enough. Hmm. So that's what cryptozoologists point to as this isn't real cuz that that ape doesn't have a crack.
0: So there wasn't enough junk in Bigfoot's trunk.
1: There was a lot of junk, but it was not separated into sections. Hmm. So, there you go. Now, I'm I'm leaving it for the listeners to make a judgment call. But, I've got a little bit of more information that came out after Mr. Patterson passed away. So, remember his partner riding with him bob gimlin um bob didn't uh shoot the footage patterson shot the footage bob was holding a rifle but told not to shoot the creature unless uh they were in danger like don't shoot them you know we want to capture this thing alive so for his role he got majorly harassed and threatened and called a nut job for bringing this story to life.
0: Yeah, so this uh, this is something I wanted to ask. So mm-hmm. the the um, guy who shoots the footage does it in service of a documentary. He passes right. away. The documentary right. doesn't come out. So right. how does this footage end up getting released? How is it out in the public space?
1: Well, the the footage was released oh, and it was okay. shown. It was shown to producers. The documentary was never finished. Oh, um, so they It was actually the there was some footage shown in theaters and things like that. Ah, you know, short films. Okay, so
0: they they sort of did it as a teaser to gin up interest in the full documentary, perhaps.
1: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because they were working on a documentary and they were looking for funding and blah 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 and all that stuff. Got it. Um. So all of that was Roger Patterson's baby and Bob Gimlin was just, you know, the buddy along for the ride and the shooting, maybe. So he went really quiet on this after Patterson's death. He became really silent on the whole Bigfoot thing and he simply just said, I know what I saw. It was real and it left me awestruck. So Bob Gimlin said, it's not a hoax. I know what I saw. and." I saw it. It it left me all struck. It was crazy. All right.
0: As the northern so, lights of Bigfoot sightings, it sounds like Haley's yeah, comet. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: it is. I mean, it's 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 the prize, dude. Okay. So I'm gonna start tying this bad boy together here. You remember the logging company back in 1958? The guys that discovered the first footprints. Yeah, because I'd asked I you
0: about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. Flash forward 2002, the family of one of the deceased loggers by the name of Ray Wallace comes forward and says that Ray Wallace secretly made these footprints with large carved wooden stamps as a hoax, just to play a hoax on his fellow uh, loggers, because obviously the legend was well known Mm. um, by the locals there, but there was no real physical evidence. So this guy, Ray Wallace, created the physical evidence that started that crazy train and it's it's been um uh proven by his family et cetera. Et cetera.
0: They, they have the molds and everything the 50 60 year old molds
1: yeah oh wow yeah. yeah. and, okay, um, and they're very you know obviously well done but that just tells us how patterson and gimlin got to that location that doesn't say anything about Bigfoot being on film, right? Yeah, because he did, they didn't us.
0: know the logging guys or anything, right?
1: Well, uh. as it turns out, <laughs> Roger Patterson um, being obsessed with Bigfoot started um, asking Ray Wallace a lot of questions about where did you see these? Where was it spotted? Blah, 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 blah. And um, Ray Wallace, the guy that made the footprints, said you should go to Bluff Creek. There's a lot of sightings, there's a lot of soundings. You might be lucky up there. If I were you for your documentary, that's where I would spend my time. So that's where the two guys headed.
0: So he had an advisory role.
1: Yeah, he had an advisory role because, you know, again, that's where he had originally put the hoax of the footprints. Right. Um, So he was carrying out the hoax a little bit more. So,
0: Oh, I'm now. sure he, he <laughs> loved that this thing, uh, no pun intended, yeah. kind of grew legs and uh, yeah. was, yeah, even going further than just pranking his coworkers.
1: Oh, yeah. Now it had, like, you know, rodeo guys uh, <laughs> right. on it who were spending <laughs> all their money to try to capture this thing, right? Um, okay, so that was in 2002, and that told us, you know, where the original footprints come from. Also, in 2002, you ever heard of a Charlotte-based costume company called Morris Costumes, Elliot?
0: <laughs> no, no. Based in
1: Charlotte, right here, North Carol- Northern Carolina. Yes. With well, us,
0: technically Southern North Carolina.
1: Southern Northern Cal- Cal- Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> you, you doing all uh, right? Yeah. Let me say that again. Southern Northern Carolina. So the founder of Morris Costume Company came forward in 2002 saying that he sold a gorilla suit to Roger Patterson in 1967 and Patterson told him on the phone he wanted to use it as a prank. So Morris Costumes was into the magic business and obviously costumes and things like that. So they thought it was like, you know, a magic prank. So they kept it quiet over the years. Ah, and. They said, uh, the owner said, this is, you know, again, this was like just barely 20, almost 20 years ago. The owner said Patterson called back and asked how to make the shoulders more massive. How do you make the arms longer and the feet bigger? And the costumer said, "Well, just have them wear football shoulder pads and put sticks, carry sticks in their hands to extend the arms. Mm-hmm. And it was suggested that Bigfoot maybe wore modified clown shoes as well to create the large um, bipeds, as it were.
0: That explains why the foot, why the soles of his feet were yes. uh, were, were bright yellow. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and they, and they squeaked when he walked. That's right. <laughs> But there's been some discrepancy, you know, that maybe it still didn't look like a manufactured costume. It, you know, it it was really a little bit too good. Yeah, I mean, they forget, gave it boobs. Yeah, Patty the Bigfoot had breasts. Yeah, so there was some work done there that no one could really quite point to. Like it, this was not the smoking gun until a guy came forward by the name of. Bob Hieronymus.
0: Oh, that's a great name.
1: Yeah, and he claims to have been the figure depicted in the Patterson film. Uh, He had not previously discussed his role in the hoax because he hoped to get paid for the footage, like from this documentary that was going to cause this great windfall of stuff. Um, So Roger Patterson promised to pay Gimlin Hieronymus um, and Ray Wallace, and no one got a penny except for uh, Roger Patterson. So that's why they all started sort of telling their parts of the story.
0: Ah, um, okay. But
1: but so he he never he told that because um, he obviously wasn't going to get paid, and he was afraid he would be convicted of fraud had he
0: confessed. Oh wow! But after okay.
1: speaking to his lawyer, he was told that since he hadn't been paid for his involvement in the hoax, he couldn't be held accountable.
0: So, so how many years later was was this? When did he, so if the- That was like
1: 2000, like yeah, uh, late 1990s, early 2000s. So all of that reveal that I just mentioned mm-hmm. from, from the large footprint molds to the costume to the guy wearing it all came out just in the early 2000s. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. So for almost 50 years, it had created such a stir that, uh, you know, really convincing uh, skeptics that Bigfoot was alive and it was wearing a giant fur coat and clown shoes.
0: Well, what's what's interesting about this is this is sort of very plot when you think of a lot of hoaxes. There's always someone who spills the beans generally, you know, cause it's, mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. having fun with it. Like it's too fun. If there were only three guys involved, money is on the line and right. one guy drops dead. <laughs> so now it's right. down to two guys and they really weren't the brains behind the operation.
1: Right. Right. And
0: they think there's some sort of payday down the road, I guess. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, it's not like they can go to court and sue this first guy. I mean, he's dead. He's gone.
1: They either think there's some kind of payday or they think, oh, shit, what have we started here? Right, right. You know, this is going to like. And again, remember at the time, um, uh, Bob Gimlin was harassed. His family was harassed. Mm, That's right. Yeah. Because people are like, you're a nut job and get out of here. You know things are different now. Bigfoot's cool. Bigfoot and Sasquatch is cool. Like as I started by saying, more than 20% of Americans in 2014 believe in Bigfoot, and this is <laughs> this is evidence that that was a faked photo, right? Right. Um, right. But it's highly debated um, in in the uh, the internet of Bigfoot, and uh, we're probably gonna get hate mail for it. But I say leave it up to your own. A uh, vision. Maybe maybe these guys are not telling the complete truth. Maybe there was some footage captured, but you know, certainly there could be a Bigfoot around. It could happen. Why not?
0: So do you think Bigfoot might have been like sort of the OG when it came to pro wrestlers? He has his character, he has his storyline. You're not mm-hmm. sure how much of it's real, how much of it's a an act. And he's just largely misunderstood.
1: Yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah, I I would say that I've never seen Bigfoot break a chair over anybody's head, though. So
0: True, true. So
1: he does have honorable intentions. Or, in this case, she had honorable intentions. All right, so (laughs) so I've wrapped up. Speaking
0: of honorable intentions. Yeah,
1: speaking of honorable intentions, tell me more.
0: Okay, so as I mentioned, just jumping back in our story a little bit, we had talked about the first original flag that went up the morning of February 23rd, um, 1945. And then now we are going into early afternoon with our second flag. Okay, so why a second flag? We have this first one up. Well, you really zeroed in on it. The flag, you know, this was very spontaneous. They'd snatched this first flag off the nearest boat, transport boat, whatever gave it to the soldiers, stormed the hill, put this thing up as a symbol. Well, it worked as a symbol for people sort of already on the island or in close proximity to the mountain. But, as you also discussed, there were other people coming. So, Mm -hmm. the noteworthy flag, the one that we're very, very aware of, happened in the early afternoon. So the first flag was small. It was way too small. So it wasn't a good... Symbol. So people, uh, you know, the American forces word had spread, as we mentioned earlier, guys were cheering. So people were aware of this lifting the spirits of the soldiers. But something else needed to be done. There needed to be a better symbol. Enter Captain Dave Severance. So, under mm-hmm. orders from Lieutenant Colonel Johnson, he sent Marines back to the top of Mount Suribachi to plant a bigger flag. Okay. So mm-hmm. this flag came from another ship. This time, a nearby ship called Tank Landing Ship USS LST seven seven nine. So that rolls off the tongue really nicely. Yeah, I Yeah,
1: yeah. I was thinking it was seven seven eight. No, no. This is this is me.
0: one better. This is one okay. better. Okay. So the group of Marines made it to the top of the mountain around noon. And believe it or not, after all this sort of entrenched warfare that I mentioned earlier they were not fired on. They were actually just Mm. able to go up the mountain. So as a result, three military photographers, Rosenthal, the fellow who took the photo, Mm -hmm. followed them. Okay. So on the way up, they met Lowry, who was the first photographer from the image I mentioned earlier that we will Mm -hmm. have available. He was coming back down. So he actually said to the other guys, the other photographers, hey, you should go up to this mountaintop. The, the view from there is incredible. It's the highest point on the island, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's already a little flag up there, so they knew where to go. So the photographers arrived just as the soldiers were attaching the second flag to a different water pipe, okay? So Rosenthal... He actually took off his camera, set his camera down because he was beginning to pile some rocks up so that he could stand on them to get a better vantage Mm -hmm. point, you Mm -hmm. know, for this this view. So he's kind of, you know, distracted. He's going ahead, piling these rocks up, and he's not holding his camera. And then he looks up, you know, while he was piling up the rocks, these Marines had been attaching this second larger flag to this pipe. He Mm -hmm. looks up just as they're starting to raise the flag, right? And he's like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't even have my camera. So yeah. he thinks he's going to miss the action. You know, he's like, I'm there to capture this moment. So he right, snatches right. up his camera, swings it up to his face, kind of is looking through the viewfinder and and snaps this photo, like just totally spontaneously, like, like you know, takes a series of images as these guys are putting mm-hmm. the flag into place. This And it's funny because... If you look at this still image, you think of it as kind of like a struggle, you know, given the composition, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a moment. But when you watch the, the footage, the film footage, it's actually a very fluid motion. And I mean, it is over in a split second.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So the fact he was able to catch this perfect moment is so incredible. So where are these flags now? Right. So we, we know about you had asked about artifacts. Right. So where, where are these two flags? So both of them were actually kept by the Marines and they can be found. You know, you think about the, the famous Star Spangled Banner that's in the Smithsonian. Well, mm-hmm. not too far away at the National Museum of the Marine Corps in Triangle, Virginia, just on the outskirts of D.C., you can actually find both the first flag and the second flag. So they're both there. Okay, even though all of this happened, even though the second photo was staged, there was still a lot of confusion about what was going on because, you know, it was still somewhat of a spontaneous act. This photographer, you know, he's a, he was a stringer, you know, he's this, this associate press photographer. So he was on the island, but he didn't know these guys. And so he um, was following them along, gets this photo, and then there was confusion over who was actually pictured in it okay so what was known is that all of the men served in the fifth marine division on iwo jima so that much was undisputed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but three of the six marines in the photo sergeant michael Strank, corporal harlan block and private first class franklin solzy were later killed in action during the battle as i talked about this continued for more than a month after oh, wow. this flag yeah. raising right yeah. so sort of like uh, your guy the brains behind the operation passing away yeah. with with a lot still unresolved same thing so these three guys were later killed in battle okay so block who i mentioned was actually identified as someone else he was identified as a man named sergeant hank hansen until january of 47 so after the war is over Soulsley was identified as Hospital Corpsman John Bradley, USN, until June of 2016. So that lasted even longer than this Bigfoot thing, right? This was only four or five years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. Then the three other Marines in the photo were corporals, then at the time Privates First Class, Ira Hayes, Harold Schultz, and Harold Keller. So, hmm. Schultz was identified as Soulsley until June of 2016. And until October of 2019, Keller was identified as another soldier, Rene Gagnon, who had helped find the flag on the ship, but actually did not make the trip up the mountain. So he did hmm. have a story, he did have a hand in it, but he wasn't actually in the photo itself, okay? So, it's really, really interesting to me that we're talking about these two very iconic images indelibly stamped on our culture as we've talked about. Everybody from memory can probably draw both of these images. But there was also a lot of confusion around them, around the origin story and what was going on, right? So really, really interesting to connect the dots. So going back to this Iwo Jima image, what is it that makes this photo so great? What makes Mm -hmm, this photo mm -hmm. so memorable? I thought a lot about this, and I kind of um, distilled my thinking down into three points. So the first one has to do with um, the era that the photo was taken. I think the fact that it's black and white is so striking because you really focus on... What's happening in the photo rather than the coloration of everything, you know, because it's so monochromatic, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just really, really beautiful. Um, And in the the motion picture footage I mentioned, that actually, believe it or not, was in color. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can actually contrast the two different scenes. And I think that's really, really interesting. The second thing is the poses of the soldiers, right? Mm-hmm. The flag is being raised. The soldiers are behind one another, sort of starting to push it up. So there is this triangular composition. You know, It's not just a vertical staff with a flag on it with people standing around right, looking right, at it, right. which kind of is what the first image was, the, the earlier image um, from that day with a smaller flag. As a result of that, because it's this physical act and it's this sort of triumphant act and it's this act of teamwork, um, it looks like a classical painting, you know, when you think about Mm -hmm. a lot of these Renaissance paintings and these... Um, military acts or these narrative moments, this definitely feels like one of those. Um, right, you know, right, pretty, it
1: leads the eye to the to that action, the, the tension of the, the soldiers at the bottom.
0: Yes, it is just so, like I said, it's this microsecond, this perfect stolen moment. And then the last thing, and this is something that, as a little kid, you know, loving flags, like we've talked about, I always love flags. But always bugged me. But now that I love about it, it, and I think this completely adds to the narrative element, is that the flag is still unfurling and the pole is still being raised. So it is this stolen moment on a windswept bluff. It's about the act. It's, Mm -hmm. yes, about the flag, but it's really about the, the whole process, the whole act. And the fact that the flag is still unfolding as the pole is being raised it is just so, in my opinion, poetic.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It is yeah, just definitely iconic. Yeah, yeah. just absolutely perfect. Um, yeah. And and to the point that it's funny. So the the memorial outside of Arlington, the flag that they have attached to it is a real flag. And I believe it's a you know, it's a fifty star flag. It's not a forty eight star flag like like this flag was. And um, I think if I'd been in charge, now nobody asked me, but I would have (laughs) uh, liked to have had a a flag sculpted just like the rest of the memorial in that moment. Like to me, it's not, it's- Oh yeah, the
1: sort of semi-unfurled Yes, it's
0: not the fact that it's um, an American flag in and of itself, in my opinion. And especially if you've ever been there and you've seen the memorial in real life, when it isn't a windy day, in my opinion, it takes something away because the flag just hangs there limp, right? Yeah, yeah. But if it were this this flag, this like if if truly everything about that photo were frozen in time in the same way in three dimensions, I think it actually would have had more um, more drama behind it, and I think it would be just that much more beautiful.
1: Yeah. See, that's because you see the uh, you see the photo as being. About the six guys The struggle of the six guys But clearly whoever Designed the sculpture saw it uh, About raising a flag A flag above the six guys
0: Right, right, right
1: So that's interesting and of course Very heroic and um, I'm trying to think Of some corollaries with the Bigfoot Image and you know The only thing I can say is um, The Bigfoot image Is a uh, it captures the body of what we knew of Bigfoot with arms, legs. It creates enough mystery by its uh, its sort of glance and and placement um, that it could be real. It creates enough question and that it could be real, or as skeptics would say, it's not. Um, the biggest thing I learned: if you're going to pull a hoax, though, you need you need you need a, a, uh, an unknowing punk along with you. Like that's what these other guys were. That's what Gimlin was basically. Um, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. He wasn't informed of this, so he was the guy that honestly said, "I saw Bigfoot." Right. And <laughs> I think if you're going to pull off a hoax, you need that. You need you need someone that you're not going to tell the whole story to, so they can firmly believe it and tell everybody else.
0: Right. I think that's a yeah. That's a great point. Todd, I will say, though, that the Bigfoot footage did, in fact, raise one thing. What is that? Curiosity.
1: Ah, that's right, which is something that we love. I'll drink to that, as a matter of fact, Elliot.
0: All right, well, in that case, I'll drink to that, too, which will be a drink that you will Buy for me. How about that? Oh,
1: oh, 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 oh. All right, uh, I'll see you that then. You told a heroic story, so uh, I'm glad to hear that. And we'll see you and everyone else next time
0: around the bar. Sounds good. Bartender, two Sazeracs, please. <laughs>
1: Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network.
1: For more information about our show, or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.